Thank you for the truth contained in your word, and I pray that you would apply what is fitting into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, ladies. Well, oh, let me get my joke. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Four-year-old Robert opened the big family Bible, which had been in the family for many, many years. And he was fascinated as he went through all the really old pages. And suddenly, something fell out of the Bible. So Robert picked it up and looked at it. And what he saw was a very old, dry leaf that had been pressed between the pages. Mom, look what I found, the boy called out. Well, what have you got there, honey? With astonishment in the young boy's voice, he answered, I think I found Adam's underwear. (laughs) So I told the ladies last night, I'll, I'll try to... Bring it to a close, all my Adam and Eve jokes. <laughs> We're moving on. At anyways, last week we saw the lies and the deception of the evil one as he tempted uh, Eve to disobey, disobey God. And how often our eyes are so blinded by the potential consequences of our own choices when we disobey God. Eve had no idea that her decision to disobey God would bring death and decay to her and everyone to ever be born. And she could not have imagined the horrific event that would come to her own family when one of her sons would murder his brother. Now all the lies and all the false promises uh, that were made in the garden and the temptation would show their ghastly results as they would know grief beyond description. Because of the fall of man, there would now be horrific results that sin, everyone born would be a sinner. But even the curse given to Adam, in that there was still forgiveness and hope. God makes it very clear by what he does next. But first, Adam names his wife Eve, which means the mother of all living. It seems evident that Adam and Eve believed God's word and had a change of heart After talking with God, Adam named Eve the mother of all living, not the mother of all dying, which would have actually been more accurate, right? Um, Because he believed what God had said, that her seed would one day bring about a future salvation. So this was simple faith in God's word. Adam was not going to continue following the words of Satan, but was going to trust the God of mercy who would bring salvation. God had commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply when they were placed in the garden, but as yet there were no children. So it seems to indicate that they weren't in the garden very long before sin came into the world. Yet even now God had promised they would live long enough to raise children and see future generations. Well, that's an understatement when you live to be 900 and something, right? How many generations did you see born? Anyways, um, so chapter 3, verse 20. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So here we see the forgiveness of Adam. In response to Adam believing God's word about a future deliverer, God kills two innocent animals, uses their skins to clothe Adam and Eve, It seems that God was giving clear instruction to Adam on the concept of forgiveness. 
that without the shedding of blood, Scripture says there is no forgiveness of sin. Can you imagine the horror it would have been for Adam and Eve at that moment to see God take two innocent animals and kill them in front of them, most likely? This was the penalty, though, for their sin. And this was the way for forgiveness. God is making it clear to them that there must be a blood sacrifice. The only way for there to be atonement for sin would come by the Lord providing it through the shedding of innocent blood. Forgiveness comes at such an incredibly high price. Ultimately, the sacrifice of animal, animals that God instituted here was to point to Jesus Christ, who would be the innocent Lamb of God sacrificed for the guilty. Salvation, the forgiveness of sin, has always been made possible by God's grace. That's undeserved favor through faith. And so we see the expulsion from the garden. In these closing verses of chapter 3, the sad story of Adam and Eve being removed from their beautiful home now in the Garden of Eden. As the Trinity counseled together and reasoned, they said Adam had become like one who knew good and evil. God knew evil because God knows everything. He knows about evil. But Adam and Eve now knew evil experientially. So the first couple had become sinners. In the Garden of Eden, there stood that tree, the tree of life. And I, they didn't have a track record that was very good when there was only one tree they couldn't eat from, right? And they ate that. So, you know, it wouldn't be good to say, don't eat from that one other tree because they weren't going to follow that. Um, so they didn't, God realized if they ate from that, they'd live forever in their sinful state. No hope of salvation. They would be like the fallen angels that are incapable of ever being redeemed living with the penalty of their sinful choice. So God in his great mercy evicted them from the garden and stationed the angels called cherubim with flashing swords to keep them from the tree of life. These angelic creatures are described in detail in Ezekiel 1 and 10 and Revelation 4 and are usually in conjunction associated with the throne of God. Later God would make his presence known through the mercy seat. Remember in the Holy of Holies? which were overshadowed by two cherubim. This was where the high priest would come in once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people over the mercy seat. And so paradise is lost. And now life is characterized by hard work, suffering, and death. But there is a way back to paradise, and that is through the death of Jesus Christ. We have seen the sad story of the fall of man and the reality of the truth that sin has consequences. Guilt Fear, excuses, shame, pain, agony, struggle, and death. Yet God reveals his amazing character in the middle of all of this. There is grace and forgiveness and mercy available with God. And that brings us to a new chapter with another very sad story that we're all familiar with, that of Cain killing his brother Abel. And really, it's a story of two brothers, a godly brother and an ungodly brother. And they really, this really demonstrates to us that through the life of Cain what rebellion looks like. And the first thing we see about his rebellion is the disobedience. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. 
Uh, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. So this chapter opens up with the birth of Cain, Eve's very first child. So she suffered for the first time, first woman to ever know labor and delivery. I wonder if Adam was around to help, I hope, but whatever. Uh, once it was passed, she was filled with the great joy every mother has when the baby is finally being held in their arms. This was the first human pregnancy and birth. And here's this little man, just like his father. Eve rejoices over the birth of her son and gives credit to God who helped her have this child. Did Eve wonder if this son was the deliverer who would crush the serpent's head? Or was she just so grateful for God giving her this precious baby? Well, we read in verse 2 that sometime later, she gave birth to a second son, Abel. Notice she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Because this passage is about the contrast, as I said, between two brothers. One godly, the other ungodly. We read nothing about their childhood. Uh, they just, poof, they've grown up. And by the time they grew up, they had both chosen different occupations. Abel was a keeper of the flock, and his brother was really a farmer. And they both had worthwhile occupations. Cain's work provided food for food, and Abel provided clothing because they were not eating meat before the flood. So it appears they were both hard workers in their chosen profession. It seems that clear that both Cain and Abel were taught by their parents that they were to worship God, and when they did so, they were to bring a, a proper offering to God, a sacrifice. We just saw that it was God who killed two animals to clothe Adam and Eve, so a blood sacrifice was necessary for sin. We read in Hebrews 11:4, by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. So the brothers brought their different offerings to the Lord, and Abel brought the lamb from his flocks, while Cain brought from his crops that he had grown from the ground. And God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's. God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice because it was offered in faith. God had revealed to Adam and Eve that a blood sacrifice was necessary to approach God. And Abel followed the way God provided. But Cain, on the other hand, was going to bring his offering that he thought made more sense to him. I'm a farmer. This is what I grow. This is what I do. I'll bring my offering. He did not bring an animal, just his crops. So he offered to God a bloodless sacrifice, and God rejected it. God is the one who laid down the proper way to approach him, and that has always been the innocent shedding blood for the guilty. But it is more than just the two different sacrifices being brought by these brothers. It is the character of these two brothers. Abel's heart was right with God, and so Abel did what was right. Cain's heart was not right with God, and so he did what was wrong. So we see here the rebel at heart bent on doing things his way instead of God's way. Cain purposely chose to disobey God by changing the way one can approach God. So this, in reality, makes Cain the father of all man-made religions. Religion is man trying to worship God in whatever way he thinks is best, rather than approaching God on the terms God has set through the blood sacrifice. I love how James Montgomery Boyce states this issue with Cain in his commentary. He wrote, The offering of Cain represents all the beautiful things of this world that God has given to us and which you and I would like to offer back to him. 
It is possible to offer these things to God, but only if we've come to him first on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ. If Cain had first presented the animal sacrifice, thereby confessing he was a sinner, that sin requires death, and that he was thankful to God for having shown that a substitute could die in his place, and that he was coming on that basis, then if he had done that and then presented his offering of fruit, God would have accepted the fruit. That is the trouble with so many people who are very religious. They come to God with their beautiful offerings, but God rejects them and their worship. There is no trust in the blood of Christ and hence no true Christianity, end of quote. We have to guard our hearts that we never come to God and think we can come to him on our own terms. His word makes it clear the way we are to approach him. It is through faith in the one who bled and died on our behalf. How many people today refuse to study the Bible or listen to scripture because they are very content with, and happy with the religious traditions and rituals they've always grown up doing, and they feel like that is sufficient. And they then are just like Cain. Another mark you see in this rubble man, Cain, is seen in his anger. In verse 5, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Because Cain did not get his way, because God didn't accept his man-made approach to God, Cain became very angry, and it showed all over his face. Cain was angry with God, and then he took out that anger on his brother Abel. Cain didn't get what he wanted, God's approval. He thought God should accept his sacrifice. And with his angry heart full of sin, he's going to take it out on his brother Abel. James 4 reminds us that the source of quarrels and conflicts is it not your own pleasure and lusting for what you don't have. So Cain's desires were frustrated. He didn't get what he wanted. And so he instantly feels this hatred towards his brother and his anger towards God. In verses 6 and 7, God speaks to Cain, warning him, trying to tell him, talk him out of his sinful desires. He appeals to Cain to repent and do the right thing. If Cain continues in this sinful rebellion and anger, then sin, just like an animal that crouches out the door, is going to pounce on him and devour him. It was not too late at this point for Cain to do the right thing. He could have mastered his sinful anger. And I think that should bring encouragement for all of us who struggle with the sin of anger. Because anger can be mastered when we are in a right relationship with God, when we let the word of God dwell in us richly. There is a way out of anger and bitterness, and that is by submission to God and his word. And the root of our anger, let's face it, it's us. Cain's problem was Cain. It really wasn't God. It certainly wasn't Abel. And we tend to blame everyone else for our angry responses to the things that they say or do. But the problem is us. It is our pride that lies within. I mean, people only reveal what's in our heart when it comes out. And then sin, if left unchecked and uncontrolled, 
behaves really like a devouring animal. Sin has the power to seize and enslave its victims. Anger that is not repented of turns to bitterness and murder, if not outwardly, certainly inwardly. And Jesus reiterated that in the New Testament. If you hate someone, you have murdered them. But Cain refused to listen to God's counsel, and the horrific result is murder. Cain spoke to Abel about what they had been told, but as they were in the field together, so this is premeditated, uh, Cain killed his brother. In the New Testament book of 1 John uh, 3, verse 12, we are told that Cain killed Abel because Cain was a child of the devil. He was behaving like his father, the devil, a murderer and a liar too. Cain actually butchered his own brother, likely slitting his throat because he was jealous of Abel's righteous behavior. Think about it. Cain was unwilling to barter with his brother to get an animal to bring a proper sacrifice to God. But here he has no problem slitting the throat of his own brother because of his anger and jealousy. It's as if he's saying to God, you want a blood sacrifice? Here's my blood sacrifice. Well, Cain behaved just like Satan, disobedient, angry to the point of murder. And let's face it, mankind has followed this behavior ever since. Satan and his followers hate those who live in obedience to the word of God. I keep up with Voice of the Martyrs regularly, and the countless tens of thousands of our brothers and sisters in prison throughout the world is stunning, and the beatings and the torture that they receive continually and regularly. And they're there in prison because they're, those who have imprisoned them hate God, hate righteousness, hate everything they stand for. That's why the most violent persecutors of believers continue to pour out their wrath because their righteous life is a rebuke. According to 1 John 3, 19 and 20, the world hates genuine believers because their lives are a rebuke to them. The light exposes the darkness, and therefore they hate the light. Now, another behavior we see from this rebel heart um, of Cain is a hardness of heart. And the Lord said in verse 9 to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, after Abel uh, is killed by Cain, God came to him just like he had come to Adam and Eve when they had sinned. And God asked him a question, where is your brother Abel? The purpose of this question is to get a response and a confession from Cain so he would admit what he had done. But instead, Cain tells God a blatant lie. He says, I don't know where he is. And then he says, that well-known expression, am I my brother's keeper? We see the heart of Cain has become so hardened to God. God had earlier warned Cain that if he didn't master sin, it would master him. And he is now in the process of being more and more and more mastered by sin. Now, it isn't just disobedience or anger. His heart has moved, moved him to murder. And that brings him to a place where he actually lies to God and challenges his God uh, right to even question him. In Hebrew, the word keeper is the same word for keeper, keeping of a flock of sheep. So the very thing that Abel did for a living, he references in his belligerent answer as if to say, am I the shepherd of the shepherd? What a sad and dreaded reality that the more you rebel against God, the more you become hardened in your heart towards him. And clearly, a person's thinking becomes incredibly messed up, so they don't even see reality. Cain lies to God as if anyone could ever get away with that. 
His hardened heart and rebellion causes him to think, his thinking to be so utterly faulty. I don't know where he is. How stupid an answer is that? The almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God doesn't see or know what you just did. But this is nothing new for people, right? Think about Pharaoh who kept hardening his heart every time he saw another miracle from the God of Israel. Or what about the religious leaders of Jesus' day? They're the most amazing. They observed the miracles Jesus did, saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, and their response was, we have to kill him. He's doing this because he's demonically inspired. So the same mentality rules our culture today. Hardened hearts, as described clearly in Romans chapter 1, lead people to an incredible spiritual blindness that they cannot see what is so clear. Professing to be wise, they become fools. And that's the effect of sin when it masters a person's heart. They cannot see the truth clearly any longer. And this negative effect can also impact a believer who refuses to repent of their sin. Their sin also blinds the reality of life. A believer will not lose their salvation, but the ability to think clearly and biblically is often obstructed by unrepented of sin. That's why Ephesians 4 reminds us, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Well, so far we have seen that a rebellious heart brings about disobedience, anger, and a hardness of heart And it only makes sense that the next thing is going to be complaining. And that's what we see in verse 10. What have you done, God said? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer uh, yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear behold you've driven me this day from the face of the ground and from the face your face I'll be hidden and I'll be a vagrant and a wanderer and whoever finds me is going to want to kill me I mean it's this wah 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 so the Lord said to him therefore whoever kills Cain vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold and the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him so once again here in verse 10 we see God ask Cain another question But God answers the question. He knew what Cain had done, even though Cain denied murdering Abel, and that Abel's blood was testifying. It was crying out to God. The statement is a picture of Abel, even though he's dead, crying out to God for justice and vindication. God answers the cry of Abel by judging Cain. Because Cain had caused the blood of Abel to soak into the ground, the judgment on Cain would be that the ground would no longer yield anything to him. This was his profession. This was his career. God cursed the ground because of Adam's sin uh, when he fell, but that made it difficult to grow food. In the case of this curse for the farmer, Cain, he would just not be able to grow food, period. Because of this, Cain would be a wanderer on the earth, going from place to place, trying to stay alive. Now he was a homeless man, banished from the place he had grown up. And like all religious people who attempt to earn their way of salvation by their own efforts and good deeds. In truth, they will find out their efforts are nothing but thorns and thistles. God allowed Cain a long life on the earth, just as he allows wheats and tares to grow together until the time of harvest, like Matthew 13 refers to. But how very sad that Cain at one time had known the way that he could come to God to be cleansed for sins, but he had turned from God's way to go his own way, because... That made more sense to him. 
Cain then complains about his punishment being too severe. I mean, think about it. He thinks God's being unfair with him with such a severe punishment. What a great deal of nerve he has to respond to God this way. He's just murdered his brother, and he thinks God is too harsh for him. Talk about not thinking with clarity. God is extending incredible mercy to him in not taking his life and striking him dead at that moment. God will institute capital punishment, but that is yet in the future. So here he makes Cain a wanderer on the earth. And Cain's afraid someone's going to do to him what he did to his brother Abel. Clearly, there are many other people on the earth at this point, perhaps many brothers and sisters, perhaps Abel's own children at this point. And any of these would have wanted to avenge the death of Abel. So Cain is afraid. And we see in the heart of Cain a man of total rebellion, anger, and complaining. He complained about how God was treating him. He thinks God's unfair. One would have hoped that Cain would have fallen down on his knees before God and begged for forgiveness and ran to get a sacrifice to offer God. But instead, he complains to God about how God deals with him. There's nothing new about that under the sun, is there? How many people have said, and I've heard this said many times, um, after going through a horrific loss or tragedy, they say, God is cruel, God is unfair, and I want nothing to do with him. Well, Cain saw none of this as a reason to change his rebel heart. All he could think about was that his punishment was too great and everybody's out to get me. All he thought about was himself. Life was just about Cain, Cain, Cain. And he thought everybody should treat him well. He was deserving of having a wonderful life. No repentance of sin. His complaining spirit is the norm for a heart that is not right with God. But it should not be the norm for those who have come to know Christ through salvation. How God despises grumbling and complaining. You only have to read through the Old Testament, especially Exodus, and you see the nation of Israel, and they're complaining and they're grumbling over and over after God provided for them. God is good. God is kind. He is merciful. And even in this passage, we see the mercy and kindness of God to Cain. God provided a sign in some way so Cain would not be hunted down and murdered as he had done to his own brother. Whatever the sign was, it still did not give Cain any real peace. Uh, he felt compelled to move from place to place like a fugitive and a wanderer. This promise of God for his protection became well known. We'll see it next week in our lesson in verse uh, 24 as a man brags about murdering someone. Uh, but he was protected at least as time went on. And we'll see next week that uh, Cain founded a city and had many ancestors and descendants. So let's learn from Cain that the behavior of a rebel is characterized by self-will, disobedience, a determination to come to God in worship in the way that is right to them. We also see it brings about anger and having a hardened heart and a complaining spirit. I wonder if any of these patterns describe you. If so, then your response needs to be different than Cain's. It needs to be repentance and turning from your sin, your self-sufficiency, your anger, your bitterness, your complaining. Do not be like Cain and make excuses or complain about your life. One more quote from James Montgomery Boyce in closing. He said, resentment and self-pity, no one likes these things in others. But no one is as blind to anything as these as when they occur in him or herself. Cain had killed a man, his own brother, 
but he was so possessed with resentment against God and others that he could not see the enormity of his crime. So he actually felt sorry for himself when God punished him with less punishment than he deserved. Even if you've never committed the crime of murder, you have committed a far greater crime against God in refusing to honor him fully as your creator and in spurning the very son whom he sent to die for your salvation. Sin is driving you from God, whom you think to be the cause of your misery. You are failing to see that he is actually being good to you and that his goodness is given precisely so that it might lead you to repentance, end of quote. So it's a good warning that none of us should go out from the presence of the Lord, which is the first verse we'll see next week in our lesson. That's what Cain did. He left the presence of the Lord. Didn't live the rest of his life without God. I pray if you have never seen your own rebellious heart for what it is, because we all were born with the same rebellion, that today will be the day you turn from your self-sufficiency, your self-will, and submit to the Lord as your God. And if you've already trusted the Lord as your Savior, then guard your own heart from the dangers of disobeying God and his word. Beware when resentment creeps in, when you are characterized by anger in your home, and when you get a hard heart and you start complaining about everybody and everything, then it's time, it should be a huge red flag, it is time to get alone with God and repent. Cain is the example not to follow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for including this in your word. It's such a sad story. And every mother here, we enter into trying to imagine what Eve went through, just mind-bending that your own son would murder his other, his brother. But Lord, that's what sin does. Now, at that moment, Eve knew full well the knowledge of good and evil and how awful it is. Lord, I pray that you will work in the hearts of anyone here who may not yet know you, that they would see the need for the blood sacrifice that you provided for us in the death of Jesus Christ, that we can't come into your presence because we go to church, because we were, we've taken communion, we're baptized, or done 50 other things on whatever list that we're supposed to do. Lord, I pray that you would help each one here to know experientially it is by faith through your kind grace and mercy to us, that we can have salvation. Thank you for your word. I pray that we would grow by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies.